welcome again to another episode of the 212 podcast. Thank you for being here. This episode, we bring you an absolute powerhouse in the Chinese event community, and she loves what she does. This week, we are welcoming the artistic director of the Beijing Music Festival, a role that was handed down to her by maestro Long Yu after 20 years at the helm. We will jump into a conversation with her and touch upon the last two years and how they have pivoted as well as her love for music. Welcome to the podcast today, Zhuang Zhou. How are you and where are you today? Thank you, Daniel. Nice to be here. I am sitting in Waldorf Hotel in the lobby in Beijing. Awesome. <laughs> we always start the episodes with with just kind of how you grew up and what you're doing now. And where did you grow up and how did you get eventually into the industry? Well, I was born in Wuhan, a, a city that everybody now knows. And, uh, um, and then I moved to Beijing, went to UK when I was uh, around 15 years old. So I studied there in the UK and got into the Beijing Music Festival since 2016. And that's when I started to think of contemplating about linking back to my cultural heritage and my hometown and do something with the cultural exchange aspect. So that's how I started with the Beijing Music Festival. But while I was in UK studying and then later working, I was never really far away from music because um, I worked as an assistant director in the opera industry for a long time. And I was starting out to be a film director, film graduate student, actually, from London Film School. But it happened to be that Royal Opera House was right around the corner and English National Opera was also right around the corner. So I was very, very drawn to the very innovative staging of opera that was happening around the time. So I start, started to step into the opera industry in London and then subsequently in Europe, uh, gained a lot of experience and now formally uh, introduced a lot of new genre opera to the Beijing Music Festival, especially to the young audience. What age did you go over and was, was it a conscious decision like you needed to go to London for a specific reason to like elevate your career or what was the what was the draw for you well i was a professional young professional singer at the beijing philharmonic choir mm -hmm. since 1993 so i think at that time not many people can travel abroad but because that choir has been invited to a lot of competitions around the world and festivals so i managed as a young kid to go with the choir to see the world every summer and every winter holidays so that made me very curious about the Western world. And the UK was one of the very uh, last country to visit at that time because mm, the choir co uh, community was not really linked with China, I think. So I, I was very, very curious about uh, Britain and I loved all the Jane Austen novels back then and Shakespeare. So I was a big theater fan. So I just started to think about going to UK and by some effort and uh, special chances, I got into a very traditional British high school uh, in Kent. So that's how I started. And I went there in 2000. I was uh, around 15 years old. Was that seen as like a, sh uh, not a strange thing to do, but was that seen as something different from the kids that you knew growing up that you were traveling around? Yes, it was. I was very privileged, I think. Um, firstly, to be able to sing in a choir that actually bears, a, you know, we practice a lot of Western repertoire in the original language. So we never felt it was 
a very traditional Chinese choir. It was more an international choir led by Maestro Yang Hunian, who was very extremely well respected worldwide. So I gained that very classical training from the beginning and then realized how powerful it is to be able to communicate with music around the world as a choir member from a children's choir. So I, I started to think that in order to speak each other's language, we have to find the same context and same language. And that's you know, how I started to be aware of the power of music since young. But when I went to the UK at the age of around 15, 16, I, it was a different experience because I, I stopped the choir experience and I went into high school. Language skill wasn't my, you know, strength at the time. But I then learned how to observe as an outsider to, you know, to get involved with a culture heritage that is so rich and especially in the classical music. I could, you know, I could immense myself as a, not as a professional, but as an audience and uh, as a kid there. So I got involved with a lot of, you know, I, I got to know a lot of theater professionals uh, by family and friends. And then I started to realize actually London is such an international city with all the best people coming here to showcase their work. So I started to raise awareness that I wanted to, you know, I, I, I definitely would like to be in the art industry and be an artist myself. That's how I started, uh, you know, how to connect my childhood music experience to later on in London. And as I said, you know, stepping into opera was geographically by chance, um, but it was never really unexpected. Let's call it this way. <laughs> I used to love uh, listening to French rap when I was growing up, but I didn't understand a word they were saying. But for you, um, were you kind of singing some of these English songs without actually even knowing what the meaning was? Oh, yeah. Danny Boy and uh, this Irish song, of course, but we, we did sing some English songs as well. A Christmas Carol, for example. We have Christmas uh, concert every year. And starting with We Wish You a Merry Christmas to Way in the Manger and all of these kind of stuff. And we didn't, we just enjoy the music and try to look into the story and the, the context, but it was really far from our culture to understand fully. But then later on, when I studied in this very Protestant school in Kent, uh, we have to sing these songs again with the British kids in, in this assembly every week. And it just resembled such uh, nostalgia, but at the same time, rediscovery of what music has given me in my childhood. So I started to realize how much I gained from the past experience. And, you know, I was suddenly familiar with what they were singing. So from being, being alien to what I was singing in China, I suddenly felt I spoke the same language. And then I... Uh, also sung uh, at Christmas Carol uh, myself, sometimes in London as well, uh, in Mandarin for this, you know, uh, Christmas songs. And it was very well appreciated. So I think it was, it was, it was a fun experience. And singing was definitely one of my uh, very top activities uh, in, my, in my childhood. Did you have friends who were sit, like singing in the choir or did you have friends that were... You know what? This is a very personal thing. Um, I was born into a three-generation composer family. So I, despite the fact that I love music, I also hated it from, from the beginning because uh, I studied piano and then 
from grandparents on, if I play a wrong note and everybody get tense, and that's how the atmosphere is in the family back in Wuhan. And, and when I when I emigrated to Beijing with my parents, I realized actually I want to continue my love for music, but I don't really want to practice at home. So I then, you know, started, I, I requested that I go for this choir entrance exam. And it was one of the top, it's actually the top, the only children's choir that can go abroad to perform, I think, at the time. So that choir has a very high standard and we had to try very hard to get in. So competition was high from the beginning with music, you know, your, your music training and all that. And we had to have some piano background, you know. So I didn't really actually know anybody from the choir, but certainly, you know, some lifelong friends were made uh, during the years I spent in the choir. We share some amazing, you know, generational experience because uh, we were the kids born in the 80s. And when we went to visit places like, for example, America, or we went to also Taiwan, for example, and it, it was it was a very um, new experience to share with everybody around us when we came back because nobody could go abroad to see so much. But then 10 years later, when I joined the choir back again for their anniversary of 35 years anniversary, I realized the kids now are still singing the choir. They they could actually do an interview with you like this from Beijing at the age of 10, you know, speaking fluent English and fully aware of musically what's going on in the world. So, yeah, it's we, we actually I think we we were the evidence of how China grew into a very musically advanced country, especially for the love of classical music let alone, you know, the Lang Lang effect with how many people playing piano, but I'm just talking from, you know, join, joining a community choir aspect. It's, it's so much to be remembered and um, to learn from in, in the past in some ways. So your parents didn't, they didn't speak English. Did they, did they have a, an idea that they, that this possible choir that you, I mean, they must've had an idea that the, the choir that you were going to, would potentially mean that you could have more of an international presence? Mm, I don't think my family thought uh, I would end up in living in the West. It was more like uh, we were, you know, we had to travel on a different passport back then, you know, a diplomatic passport, which is nationally owned. Um, so the idea of just having a personal passport and getting a visa applying a visa at another country's embassy is is not is unthinkable at that time so we had to travel as a company and that kind of <laughs> company awareness i think they didn't think i would at the age of 16 or 15 15 and a half and decided you know strongly to my parents that i want to go to the uk they didn't think of that they didn't expect it at all but i think when 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 we did when we practiced at the choir at the time, it was just so natural because every Saturday we had to spend uh, half half an afternoon together in the same symphony national symphony uh, hall a national symphony rehearsal room and which is still there as a rehearsal room. So at the time it was very uneasy because we didn't even have our own rehearsal room. We had to share with a professional symphony. But we always bump into professional uh, players from uh, from a symphony uh, powerhouse, and we were so close to the core of the classical music scene by 
just sharing the same space. So everyone that I shared my choir life with ended up, you know, ended up doing uh, or engaging their life with a very important element that is classical music following their, their career and their life. The other thing that you mentioned there, obviously, um, London is a, a cultural hub in, in some ways in, in terms of just the diversity that's there. But I always mm-hmm. use this uh, as an example. You know, China's 17th biggest city is bigger than London. So, I mean, the, in terms of sheer size, China is so much bigger. Uh, but mm-hmm. London offers something different to you. Well, I spent my teenage years, the golden years in London, and um, I guess being alone in that city, sort of um, growing up by myself and enjoying the uh, freedom of engaging whatever I want to engage on was one of the best part. And I was very fortunate that my parents um, encouraged me to study what I wanted and uh, I got into London Film School, which was highly competitive. And I, you know, I pursued that study. And, and for, that, for that kind of experience, I realized, you know, it's important for me to be at least in a international city where people coming from everywhere speak all dialect in English, you know. And we, we can share. Uh, the only thing we share is the creative bond and that's what London can offer me a lot. It, it was a very different experience when I studied in Kent, for example. Um, by the way, I go to London every week when I was studying in Kent. Not that I don't like Kent, but it's a very, um, very, very provincial and very kind of conservative part of England. Beautiful. But London was much more international. And uh, I, I made a lot of friends there and shared a lot of friends in, you know, in common interest. Uh, the 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 only frustrating thing in London that I I found was that uh, people come and go a lot, and it's it's almost like uh, you just made some amazing friends, and then from after graduation they went to Berlin, and then the good side is or Berlin or Italy or you know Europe, and they start to develop their career there. But the good side is all the best people then you know in in their own field then all come back to London, and we always have a gather. So it's like a very creative place, but it's also very highly competitive. You can get everything in London. Uh, I I thought that that with with even Brighton, where I'm from in the UK, is mm-hmm. it's still it's this kind of the same. People come and come and go as well. But I guess a plus side to that is that you get to travel around to Europe and see your friends in different countries. Yes, I mean, God knows what happens after Brexit, but <laughs> I'm still expecting to still maintain the same network. We can only hope. And you know, I think London offers such um, amazing energy, which is, it's so tough at the beginning. You know, language, cultural uh, heritage, you know, it's so rich. You just don't know where to, to begin at first. Either, you know, people come to me and ask me all the Chinese stereotypes or nobody talk to me about culture. <laughs> so we, we make friends, we, we, we have lots of good experiences, but barely you know, to start, it was very hard. But then once I once I started to get involved with more, you know, creative friends, I realized, my God, everybody is here and everyone is just struggling at, this, you know, at the same time. And this, this actually made my confidence about 
coming back to to the Beijing Music Festival and become an artistic director here because I think I have something to offer to to this festival because I would like to create that same kind of energy in Beijing in the creative uh, uh, you know classically creative atmosphere. You know, in London, we see in the big venues and stage all these famous people coming in to perform and to give their productions, showcase or whatever, previews and premieres. But then, you know, we also know of all these symphony orchestras and great maestros, they all come to London. But then they're also my contemporaries and they were just so creative and um, they can they can think and they struggle and then they do their, uh, they, they fulfill their dreams uh, forming companies, you know, all these small opera companies, all these immersive, you know, uh, performances that all they, they were all born in London. And then I sort of wanted to grab them along and have them also being born in Beijing. And that was kind of my, um, my, my wish. And, and with this pandemic, you know, a lot of the plans have been halted. But it was then again a very good thing because I started to realize that energy is start to generate within China, having you know having showcased some of these young London creative people in uh, Beijing Music Festival, and there are more and more new generation Chinese uh, classical uh, artists are coming along and trying to do things. So you know this. Energy always generates energy, and I, I really appreciated um, London in this way. Well, you mentioned there as well creativity. Is it, 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 it's every single person there is just they, they want a, a piece, and they feel like it's attainable. You know, like they feel like they can they can get. They might have come from all these different places and different backgrounds, and they. It, they're all there for one common goal, which is most of it is is to to fulfill some sort of dream that they want in terms of a career, because it is, it's like a living, breathing city. But I mean, you started, I mean, creativity obviously comes kind of natural to you and, and it's not just music that you're into. You, you, you actually went there uh, and trained uh, at London film school. And then you also, it, it seems like, you know, you had so, a few of those screenings that were, were actually at the national gallery as well. So, I mean, you've got the art, the film, the, music is that it, that all all of those things i mean you just seem like that's what your passion is it's just anything creative <laughs> um i always wanted to be a director and i am i am a director practice you know directing in theater and in film and also creating uh multidisciplinary language on stage performances that's kind of my interest in the live performances uh, which was very much um, influenced by some directors I admire in the West. I think uh, when I was studying at the London Film School, I realized what's going on in the two powerhouse around the corner in Covent Garden, that there were a lot of, you know, film language on stage happening. And there are a lot of montage like scenes uh, practiced in new written opera. And there are subjects that, you know, uh, stories that were adapted from films so yeah it, it was a high a high classical or high-end genre of art but yet people were connecting the the film uh, world to the to the opera stage which was very um 
new at the time. And I was very fascinated by that. For example, I remember Mike Figgis did some uh, some uh, production at the ENO, and, and a lot of film directors did some films, uh, some productions, like our own dean from the school. Mike Lee also did some uh, productions at the ENO. So that was quite an influence. And um, I then started, while I was in the film school, started already uh, a company that makes uh, creative uh, film content or multimedia practice on stage for productions on stage, theater and opera with my colleague from London Film School because I also realized a lot of people from some very talented colleagues um, from my film school contemporaries, they actually, um, they, they came from multiple background and film is such a, you know, uh, a, a language that that can range from commercial to artistic films. So people who have that kind of more towards the European um, artistic side of cinema would very much transit to the stage format and storytelling for opera and theater at the time very easily. And there was this huge, I mean, when I was in film school, there were always two uh, groups of people. One, the American, you know, uh, Hollywood group, and then there's also the European group. And I was more in the European group. Uh, people were much, much more, uh, you know, uh, clean to make classical or very uh, high-end kind of high art kind of format, which are much harder to get funding, but they're so brave, they want to try everything. So I, I then, you know, I became an advocate and, and ask some friends to join me in my company uh, to, to cross over to stage at the same time when we were studying in the film school. So that experience made me crossing over to the opera world and, the, and got more into the classical music scene a lot. But it was very much because I had the film school training skill and that skill was very much used on stage um, during those times. It seems like all of that, all of that knowledge that you've gained in all those creative endeavors has almost led you to this in terms of your role now as a director to Beijing Music Festival. Is that how you feel? Yes, everything comes for a reason, I guess. <laughs> I'm still directing uh, productions here in China while running the Beijing Music Festival. I think um, it's, it's, it demands very different energy. You know, for example, when I'm running the Beijing Music Festival, I have team and, you know, can't, you know, fixed team, which involve admin people as well as producers and uh, creative uh, departments. So I'm talking to artists um, to, to help them to realize what they want to do. So I'm sort of on the other side, uh, opposite to being a purely creative person. Um, but then I, I look at this whole thing about the you know, being being a creative person, I, I think it's important that uh, we we share. And I I love to the I love the idea of growing up with my generation in London as well as in China. And I love to share what I know and what I can give them, and and to communicate with people. Let let it be film or music or running a festival or doing my own production. Um, I think once we all reach a kind of 
artistic appreciation together and standard together, especially in China, the the forward possibility of creating something great is 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 very big. So I'm I'm still hoping I'm still <laughs> looking for that um, that day to come. Yeah, we're still practicing that. How big actually is it in terms of you know how many what what is the what's the format of Beijing Music Festival? How big is it in numbers and how many concerts do you have over a period of time? Yeah, Beijing Music Festival has been around for almost twenty five years. We're going on to the twenty fifth anniversary. Uh, we run. Around the length of three weeks every October, and it's the best、uh, time of the year for Beijing. And also, a lot of international symphony orchestras can travel with this particular window to China.、Um, we normally have about twenty-five、um, programs during these three weeks, around twenty-one days. Twenty to twenty-five programs, like concerts, operas,、uh, as well as chamber concerts, and you know, big orchestra symphonies and chamber music, as well as、um, some Chinese ethnical music, as well as world music. We are starting to introduce. So it's not just purely classical, but we、um, the mainstream, the main、uh, programs are around. You know those、uh, the most classical repertoire played by national and international symphony orchestras. And you'd be remiss if you kind of looked at、uh, some of the、uh, the 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 things that you've got going on the the mini concerts. I guess is、uh, it's not just classical, is it? It's it's jazz. It's it's it, there is a, genre, a, a multiple genres of music that are that are produced there. That's right. Yes, that's right.、Um, we started to. Uh, have a series called the crossover series. So we don't really define what's contemporary music and what's say ethnical music in China because nowadays the artists and、um, composers or performers they are so mixed. They they want to try out new things. So we give them opportunity to bring their cultural elements or heritage onto this platform. But we put them in a context where they have to create something new. Or, or, or to present their music in a new format. For example, we start to take the concerts out of、uh, um, the normal venues or、uh, even chamber halls. We we start to, you know, do also lunchtime concerts and afternoon tea concerts in the in in multiple locations in the city, in the iconic buildings, in the historical sites.、Um, so to to create this awareness of Music is happening everywhere and is changing all the time. This kind of, you know, tr- trend. So, so the youngsters follow that a lot. Like for this year, we planned to have a carnival,、um, which is going to be celebrating all sorts of music, but around the theme of the great composers' anniversaries.、Um, in the most predominant、uh, commercial district in China, so、uh, you, you will see like a two days,、uh, a weekend of. Twelve-hour ongoing carnival、um, with only music in that area alone. So、uh, that kind of thing is what we are trying to push the boundaries with, and opera too. You know, with our festival, we have big collaborations such as、uh, collaboration with the, the Salzburg East Festival in the past, and then in the future we have Opera Comique with this powerhouse. Co-producing the China concept, you know what we call China concept、uh, opera. Um, and then we also have 
um, small operas happening, uh, music theater happening are just around the corner from, you know, the commercial district, maybe in a warehouse or somewhere tucked along uh, for, for exhibitions normally. And then we stage operas there. So, so yeah, it's a real mix and match um, that happening in October at the same time. So with all of that, um, the, the, the music festival and, and, and what's, what is actually on offer, obviously the last two years probably has looked a little bit different. How, has, how have you pivoted in the last couple of years? And what, what restrictions have been in place over the last kind of two years that's meant, meant that you have had to kind of do things a little bit different? Oh, yes. Um, in 2000, uh, 2020, like everyone, we were hit by the pandemic. Um, so the international travels are not prohibit, uh, were prohibited. So we couldn't continue the program that we designed previously that was meant to have a very international exposure of big orchestras and big uh, operas coming along. So we had to very sort of um, last-minutely change into a completely different plan. And the choices were given at the time was to have a lot of uh, in, domestic players and musicians, you know, musicians and uh, orchestras coming. But we decided, instead of doing that, we decided to take a, a big step onto online audience exploring like everybody else uh, in in the festival in the festival circle in the world are trying, and then we realized actually we had so much archive and so much possibilities uh, to connect our festival's past to present the whole festival in a reminiscent way uh, for 240 hours of material um, over the course of 10 days um, to to have a pure online festival, but non-stop festival so we had that material we had enough and we created also new material we connected with foreign artists you know also did podcasts so we we had a very uh rich program online with our own app that was developed at the same time but then um due to the restriction we had only 75 percent allowance um of capacity to stage concerts in our usual venues. So we didn't give that up. We had about 12 concerts also um, happening at the same time, but it was kind of interactive with the online experience. So we tried to create a 24 hour music experience or 248 hours music experience at the festival last year. And it went quite well. And we we also um, wanted to speak a big voice since we had to make the change we then pushed along with some big messages to the Chinese and international audience alike that uh, the Beijing Music Festival was launching a campaign uh, online to support the, you know, um, the copyrighted music <laughs> because this was an area that the Chinese government has been uh, looking up to very much changing. So we had worked with um, some key players in the world like Deutsche Grammophone, Naxos and um, Sony Music, for example, Universal, to uh, create this huge bank of um, online listening platform based on all the legally uh, copyrighted material. 
so that was you know that was quite a big announcement from us, and we uh, wanted to use that also to raise awareness for the Chinese listeners and consumers for online music to understand, you know, what this means. This means we are protecting the artists in this such, especially during this such difficult time. And we are also protecting creative work um, for um, longevity and also protecting or raising awareness in a huge industry like China to how, how we should continue to explore in the classical music field or any you know copyrighted field alike so this was a big message from us and then this year of course it's still quite unclear that <laughs> that the pan which way the pandemic will go so we took the um caution um and basically curated an entire program based on showcasing the best of the Chinese music talents. And at the same time, we have uh, the outdoor carnival, which is less likely to be restricted. And we, we will you know, continue to plan for next year, which is our 25th anniversary. And we still have our international travel, you know, international partners, participants to look forward to next year. So let's get our fingers crossed, hoping that's going to, you know, that's going to go smoothly. But we've all got I, our I fingers think, crossed. I think we've all yeah. got our fingers crossed for you. And I mean, one of the things that you did in the last two years that did happen is the world premiere of the, of the two 2020 by a Wuhan, Wuhan composer and was performed by Wuhan musicians in honor of Wuhan. How important was that for you, I guess, in the fact that you've mentioned already there that you you're you're from that region and obviously it would have been absolutely uh, devastated by um by what happened and they that arguably have gone through for it longer because they it was almost ground zero so how important was that for you i think it was a big piece to have been commissioned in the course of my you know early years of uh, early starting out years in the festival with the uh, support of our um, chairman maestro long yu who actually i think his vision really gave me such great um ideas about how to run the festival you know we always under his guidance we always managed to raise before everybody else so we we kind of he he saw through that wuhan was going to become this rather talked about city and we didn't know at the time of commission you know this you know we saw it um the the piece presented in october but the commission already started in january and if you think back in january you know how how the world took wuhan and how China was dealing with the city, it was a very uncertain, um, you know, outlook because we didn't know which way it was going to go. Um, and then Wuhan became the city of heroes and the togetherness was certainly more and more to be celebrated. And the, the sentiment uh, coming from that city was then subsequently shared all, all across China. So to open our festival with that big piece was quite a quite a daring act to do um, because uh, the composer you know and also the librettist were working during the events uh, developing 
you know, at first it was it was Wuhan, and then we thought it was like SARS. It was primarily it was between Guangzhou and Beijing, and it was going to be contained. And then it was the whole of China, and then it went to the rest of the world, and nobody expected that way. Uh, certainly, you know, I think the Western friends of mine didn't expect it that way. And then we 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 were still creating the piece while things were developing, and that was was exciting, but also very memorable about it. At the end, you know, when. We sitting when we were sitting in the premier auditorium. We had about twenty five, I think, uh, ambassadors from various countries across the world sitting there and listening to the piece. And I, I did hear, you know, this kind of. I could tell there was such intensity to the piece where it brings such shared um, emotion. And and it was still so raw at the time in October, even though it was already almost a year. It was so raw that people could could you know could couldn't really clap at the end of the concert. They were just felt so deeply into it, and you know the pandemic was still going on then. So it was not really a requiem. It was more you know it was it felt like the power of a requiem, but it was not because. The event was still going on, and that's that was the power of live music at a given time for such live events happening. It must have been I mean, emotional for you as well. Yes, it was. It was very emotional because my um, uh, childhood friends were actually in the orchestra playing this piece, and the 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 orchestra. Actually, I I, I knew the orchestra very very well. My grandfather used to work for the orchestra as a composer. So it runs in the family, um, but we never, we never really thought Wuhan would become this, you know, center of the attention in this way. Um, so at the very beginning, I had lots of relatives in affected, you know, in the city of Wuhan, and at that time it was fear, it was complete fear and panic. So from from January all the way to October. Um, I realized the change. I realized the courage in people growing, and I realized how, you know, powerful they felt when they stood on the, you know, center stage of BMF. You know, this orchestra, um, having been locked down as the first city in the world that had this, you know, crucial lockdown for months. Um, it was a sense of relief and a sense of reunion for me, um, seeing them on the Beijing Music Festival opening stage. And you and you mentioned there, like community. I mean, community is needed. You need all locals together. I mean, have you felt with the last two years with the festival itself? Have you felt like the community has come together more? Definitely, especially you know, Daniel, for discovering Chinese uh, cla- new generation Chinese classics, classical music community. I think the pandemic kind of has um, geared me, at least, and together with my team and Maestro Longyu, to notice so many kids now have grown up and coming back to China to engage with their. Um, you know, hometown stage to showcase their talent that is equally exciting as their contemporaries in the West. And I mean, I mean, I'm talking about 
people, you know, young musicians, qualified musicians studying in places like Juilliard, Curtis and Royal Academy in London, you know, because of the pandemic, some of them got back and stuck in the country for one year. And they, they, they created new ideas. They performed, uh, you know, they, they became the most popular performers in, for over the last year. And they, their talents are suddenly known to people, you know. If it's only, um, if it's the same as before, then we have very um, small um, percentage of um, opportunities maybe for them to be engaging on a big stage for example but this year suddenly they had all these exposures I think it's not far from them you know working with the top orchestras and maestros in the world and I I really I really look forward to see it uh, that day and you know maybe next year I I mean you mentioned you mentioned that as well like I mean it, it made you come back as well I have never stayed in China for continuously uh, for for this long since I left in my teenage years and I every time come back feeling like a visitor and I go back to UK feel more like a resident you know because I am um, formerly a resident in the UK and I just felt like this this year I really had an opportunity to also get to know my city better um, to see how it changes and how it grew into what the shape is today. I understood our community here, not only just from the classical music world, but also from theater, from the cultural aspects and, you know, um, and, and just from everyday life. You can observe how the mentality and the functionality of being together, <laughs> how to say very differently from the the, the, the Western um, way of living, you know, because sometimes we we all have to stop traveling for a while and just to get the one single cases out of the way. In just the to be still and just <laughs> to have a reset, you know. <laughs> yes, and it's, you know, we are so used to it. But, you know, I, I, I don't know which way I prefer, but uh, I think it kind of works here and people just get on with their, you know, most wanted to, to do things. And I think it's also the city was so busy all the time. And because of these kind of sudden restrictions or, or halt, we, we started to look into ourselves a bit more and look into each other's, you know, uh, thoughts a bit more. And we, we could appreciate uh, the creative process a bit more because previously it was really really just getting the getting in the way sometimes the the business of how the city functions but yeah i think i, I really look forward to next year when things are gradually opening up and actually i'm tr- i'm going back uh to london soon um this year already um to fully i think i i will see the city very differently now i i feel a bit nervous actually to to think that um to go back to london and see london and maybe london's changed i don't know but i feel a bit nervous hopefully london um, london never changes <laughs> it's just the people um i mean the sure. um we're coming to the end of the uh the the episode now Shwang, and i just I think is a perfect segue and a perfect last question to ask. And it would be really, I mean, you've mentioned the, the, the cliches that you could probably have been asked when you first moved over to London. But I, instead of asking you what the differences between China and the UK um, are, or even the Western and Eastern world, I kind of wanted to just see, you've spent a, a lot of your life in both 
places. And I wondered what uh, you feel like you've found the similarities between the two uh, two worlds are. There are a lot of differences. <laughs> but It would be easy to say the differences. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, similarities, I guess, is the way people connect when a great piece of music or art uh, is happening. I think that common um, sense of appreciating some something beautiful and appreciating something compassionate, raising the awareness of of the worldly matters. I think that's that's probably sounding very big, but it is indeed what I've been very much felt um, by what I've, you know, my experience suddenly locked um, inside China. Not locked is not the right word, but stayed in China for such a long time. I, I, I start to consider these very deep philosophical questions. I think people are all the same. I don't see, you know, by, by the way we live, we're very different. And the way we see um, different genre of art or forms of art, we, we approach things differently. But then when we receive the most beautiful thing and, you know, when we feel the compassion is still the same. I think everyone wants to have the world a better place. Zhuangzo, I think that's a beautiful place to leave it. <laughs> Thank you very much for, uh, for joining us today and I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you.